the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Hey, y'all. I'm Bud Elliott, and this is Cover 3 College Football Summer School. We've done our research on the teams, and now we're bringing on the top team experts from the 24-7 Sports Network to help us fill in the blanks. Please follow us on Twitter at Cover3Podcast. That's Cover3Podcast. And leave us a five-star review on Apple and Spotify. All right. Class is in session. Hey guys, I'm Bud Elliott. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast Summer School Edition. And today we're going to talk a little Cal Bears. And to do that, I'm going to head on over to Bear Territory. That's Bear Territory, the Cal Bears site on the 24-7 Sports Network, and talk to Jackson Moore. Jackson, welcome back to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. No doubt about it. Uh, so, Cal, you know, okay season last year. Not, not, a, not a great year. Probably a little bit disappointing for you know, the expectations of some fans. Yet head coach Justin Wilcox is still really highly thought of in coaching circles and especially people that you know follow scheme and whatnot. Uh, I, I'm going to start here with something that just bugs me about this Cal team, if I can, and maybe it'll be different this year. I, I feel like Wilcox would already have an even bigger job if he could just put a competent offense on the field. And it just doesn't ever seem to happen. And now they've lost... Chase Garbers, and they lost the running back Chris Brooks, and receiving core is pretty wrecked in the offensive, or at least on on, on paper, in the offensive line loses three of five starters. It, it am I wrong to think that this could get worse? I, I don't want to start super negative, but I just look at this I'm like, man, I, I got to have Jackson on and ask him these questions. This does not look good, just you know, to the untrained eye here. Yeah, and even worse for Cal has been that the last, especially last year, the defense, you know, started to kind of feel the losses of some of the NFL guys they had in previous years, and the offense was supposed to pick up some of that slack, just didn't happen. And then you had a subpar offense, and you don't have the elite defense you're aiming for. Wasn't a good recipe. Um, I will say it's very interesting that. You've got Wilcox, you know, signing an extension, and um, then at the same time, you're having all these guys that could have been super seniors, or they said they hit the grad transfer portal, or they went to the NFL, and you've got <laughs> basically it feels like they're kind of starting from scratch with this team. But I would say the good news for Cal is that they really stepped things up recruiting in 2020 and 2021. And that young core is starting to take place right now. That's what we saw in the spring. As depleted as that receivers group would sound, I mean, they just hit the recruiting trail heavily in 2020 and 2021. And these guys have a much higher ceiling than the players that they are replacing. It's just there's going to be a lot of growing pains this season, I'm sure, as they fill in those gaps. So uh, you look at the receiving group. They bring in Jack Plummer, Purdue transfer at quarterback. I think there's a chance that this passing game, that what they're aiming for is that it's going to be more explosive than what they've been in the past. But 
Um, again, it might not be 2022, but it could be 2023 when this group is really something dangerous in the Pac-12. It's just going to take a little while to mesh. Uh, the O-line, as you mentioned, is a, definitely a concern, though, and they went out and got a couple transfers after spring ball. They're going to have to really hope that they uh, tie things together with that group. Is that both a concern of depth and of you know starter quality, or is it more just, hey, the starters stay healthy, they're fine, and the depth is bad? What What's your read there on the O-line? Yeah, there's just not much experience there. Um, you know, in the spring, they, you had two returning starters, and one of them had to kind of move around. And you've got two guys that have played one game at the two guard spots and a, a tackle that started just a couple of games. And it's, it was a pretty bare-bones group. And then, this, of course, the second team, no experience there. So uh, they went out. They got a transfer from uh, Montana State, from Arizona State. Things feel a lot better after that. Uh, some guys with experience. and. Um, yeah, again, it, it feels a lot better to have to plug maybe one hole than three uh, for the Golden Bears. No doubt about it. Uh, what, have they spoken about what they saw in Jack Plummer? It, it's an interesting choice to go out and get you know the, the Purdue transfer who had some success at Purdue. Yeah, um, you know they never came out and said he was the starter. They, they were very sure not to go out and officially say that. But I mean, he took first team reps basically the whole spring. Kai Milner, a four star redshirt freshman, was up behind him and. It was pretty very clearly one two with those two guys. I was very impressed with Plummer and the fact that uh, from all the practices I went to, I don't think he threw a single interception. I mean, he was just very ball secure. And I mean, that's going to be huge for a Cal team that, you know, they lost a lot of games right at the wire. And, you know, those make or break plays cost them in a lot of games. And now, I mean, there was potential for things to go very bad with Garbers moving on and not having a backup ready. So, I mean, Plummer seems like a guy that can distribute the ball to all these young receivers and, and not make mistakes. And if the defense is as good as you know, Coach Wilcox's team should be, uh, that might be enough to win some ball games. All right, let's let's talk about what everybody wants to talk about, and that is the defensive side of the ball. Uh, even though they slipped a little bit last year, I think most would agree the defense was still better than the offense on on the whole. Um, and they lose a decent number of starters off this defense, but I feel like there's still some potential for this thing to be a, a real bounce back unit. Is that is that correct in your mind? Yeah, I sure think so. Um, again, kind of paralleling the uh, receivers was the defensive line where you've got Brett Johnson, who really unfortunately last year was in a car accident right before the season, was their star defensive lineman, broke his hip, and uh, wasn't available at all last year. He's back and healthy and rather miraculously you know, was there all spring, looked like he was back to his old self. And then you've got, again, another big group of 2020s and 2021s that are just, they look like they're ready to play and be perhaps better than some of their predecessors in that group uh, if things come together for them. And you've got Ricky Correa in the middle. You've got, uh, they went out and got Xavier Carlton from Utah, who just, just a different type of athlete than what they already had, which was pretty good up front. Um, they get Jackson Sermon, an inside linebacker, a well-established Washington uh uh, Pac-12 linebacker at Washington there. I mean, they've got a lot of pieces in the, the uh, front and the front seven, which is what Cal defenses have, have largely been based upon in this 3-4 scheme. Uh, the secondary was a little depleted in the spring, but I think once they get the pieces together, they're going to have a very solid group there. So, I mean, that's not quite as established as the defenses that Cal rode in the early Wilcox years, but it definitely looks like it's a step up from last year. And um, even some of the returners were young guys last year. Now you feel like they're veterans this year. So let's let's play floor and ceiling here for a minute with this defense. Uh, fill in the blank. If Cal's defense is the top three unit in the Pac-12, it's because 
you know, blank hit or, or blank stepped up? Um, you know, I think the one question for me is that outside linebacker, um, they went out and got a transfer from UCLA and that's going to be big. They didn't really have many pieces there um, in the spring and Carlton might play some outside linebacker too. That's kind of the one piece of the defense that's been missing. So I think if they can be successful there, it really complements what they've done on the defensive line at inside linebacker and what the secondary should be. And then if for some reason they slip into a, you know, bottom half of the league defense, it's because, you know, blank happened. I think it would have to be health. I mean, this isn't a team that, I mean, you look at what they lost over the previous years and I feel like they're going to field a pretty good 11, but um, beyond 14 or 15, do they have the guys? I don't know. So um, some injuries, this is not a defense that's too deep. And you're also talking about a young defense too, where some of these guys might not be starting under normal circumstances. It's an interesting schedule for Cal, right? In that they, you know, you have UNLV, that should be a win. UC Davis should be a win. A trip to Notre Dame is, is I would say, most likely a loss, but you have to feel pretty good about coming out of the non-conference slate with a winning record at, at two and one. I mean, I think most likely. Uh, and then from the South, they draw the two, I think probably the two worst teams in Arizona and Colorado. And they also have to play two of the three projected, you know, best teams in, in USC and UCLA. Jackson, looking at this schedule, is this a, a team that you feel confident makes a bowl? Uh, that's a tough one because I was confident last year um, and it didn't happen. And they have had about three or four games that could have very easily been wins had just like the last play on the right way for them. And I think this is a team that's probably realistically not as good as what last year's was supposed to be. But this is a Pac-12 a lineup where you have a lot of those games and they might win a couple that last year's team wasn't able to. So uh, I think, you know, six, give or take one or two in either direction is a, a realistic line. And if they can just get some momentum, I, I think there's a lot of potential for this team a year from now in 2023 to build on that and really be something to watch in the Pac-12. But they've got to put it together this season and get it, you know, get it rolling and, and push into that season. Jackson Moore, Bear Territory. Really appreciate the time here today on Cover 3 Podcast Summer School. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thanks, man. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Hey guys, I'm Bud Elliott, and this is the Cover 3 College Football Podcast, and of course, this is a summer school edition. Today, we're going to talk a little Washington State, and to help me do that, I'm going to bring on Jamie Vinnick of Kook Fan. Jamie, what's going on? 
How's it going, bud? Man, I'm uh, glad we get to connect here. And uh, certainly a team that I feel like we need to cover on summer school just due to all the stuff that <laughs> that that happened last year. Um, I guess opening question here, how how crazy was that? And from the outside, it seemed a little, little nuts. Yeah, I mean, it, it was wild, you know. Uh... I'd actually, I'd been at Kook fan for a couple of years, but it was mostly in, you know, kind of a part-time role. So that was really my, my first couple of months on the full-time football beat is dealing with that. I think I actually, uh, I had just been hired full-time about four days later, you know, the role of it statement comes out and all that stuff happened. So it, it was a pretty crazy few months, um, you know, uh, the kind of the lingering storyline around the entire season. I'm just trying to cover the football team, what happens in the, uh, the games itself, what happens at practice, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, there was obviously the the looming question of, of that October 18th date and what was going to happen after. And, uh, you know, I, I think that in a lot of ways, it was kind of a, a relief in some ways, but it almost felt like the job normalized a little bit after that, you know, to some degree. And now really into the spring, you know, when Jake Dicker comes on for an interview, there's one question, that's football. You know, there isn't the the overarching question of, you know, are you going to get vaccinated? What, what's going on here? And, um, you know, and I had nothing against Coach Rolovich personally. I actually got along very well with him. But obviously, you know, it was a it was a distraction. I don't think so much for the players, but for a lot of people around the program. It was, you know, if he said something about it, that had to get written. And, you know, for me, I wanted to write about football. I wanted to talk about the team. But, uh, you know, as a reporter, it's job to talk about the, the main topic. So um, I think that this spring was definitely a, a little more of a normalcy. You know, after practice, Jake talked about what happened on the field. There wasn't any questions about, hey, you know, what are you doing about this, this, and this? You know, this date's coming up. It's just, hey, how did you think Cam Ward played or what did you think of your defense today? So it was wild. Um, it's definitely calmed down a little bit, at least uh, as much as covering football can. But, yeah, it was a, a crazy few months for sure. I One of the things we do from a gambling perspective, we try to think, like, hey, how good was this team last year? What, what are our baseline numbers? You, you adjust for, uh, you know, returning snaps and all that stuff. And I guess with – with a couple teams out there, I think USC, LSU being two where they had the, the midseason firings, it's just hard to get a, a good feel for exactly what the baseline should be uh, from which to adjust. And I I kind of think Washington State is in that, but I just don't know how in the heck we would ever be able to quantify that. So I I guess I'll just, just kind of jump into some of these position groups here and strength and weaknesses of the team from last year and, and just pick your brain and see if some you think will carry over or, or how they'll change. Um, I, I want to start with defense because that is Dickert's side of the ball, obviously. Last year, I, I loved their pass defense overall, and I thought their run defense was kind of just lacking, uh, for lack of a better word. It, do you think we're going to see that big of a split this year, and, and why or why not? You know, I think the big thing that lacked in the in the run defense last year was kind of the meat and the, the I don't want to say the talent, but the, the abilities of the interior. And a lot of those guys are back, but there was just a little something different you noticed kind of in the spring. And I think Pete Caligas is a big is a big part of that. You know, he's the veteran defensive line coach. He's coached pretty much all over the West Coast from Washington to Wyoming to Western Washington. So he knows his stuff. And I think you saw, at least in my opinion, some strides made from those defensive tackles. You know, the, the thing that was always so baffling is they would have games where they would shut down rushing attacks. I mean, they went down to Tempe and, and granted without Rashad White, but took down Drainham, took down Nada. They stymied that, uh, that run game. They did the same thing when they faced Chris Brooks and Cal. You know, even UW, and granted that was not maybe the run attack of a Miles Gaskin, but they shut that down. It was, you know, Oregon State gave them problems. Oregon gave them problems. BYU gave them problems. So it was kind of a, you know, if it was a 
decent run attack or worse, they did well. When you started getting into the B.J. Baylors and the Byron Cardwells, the Travis Dyes, the Tyler Algiers, that's where they struggled. I do think there will be some improvement. I think Dayon Henley at, at linebacker is going to help a lot. He's just a different breed than what they had in Jahad Woods and Justice Rogers. Two Cougar legends, you know, most games played ever by any Cougar player. But they were at times limited in what they can do. You know, as, as prolific of a tackler as Woods was, he was a lot of, in a lot of ways the same guy he was as a freshman and sophomore. You know, Rogers steadily got better but still would have some troubles with his angles and, and his play recognition. Henley's just a freak. I mean, he is your modern hybrid linebacker. You know, what you see in like a Micah Parsons for the Cowboys, a guy that can absolutely do everything, you know, and, and I don't like to take a ton out of spring ball, but I mean, he covered receivers. He came off the edge. He came up the middle. He disrupted a lot of plays and really looked a part of a guy who was an all mountain West player. So I think having that presence in the middle will help a lot. And then I just think having a little more of a oomph, or a little more thud inside linebacker. I think Francisco Mayangoa is going to be a big part of that. You know, his tackling as a whole has to improve, but overall his physicality is there. I mean, he's going to come up and stick backs. Travion Brown maybe a little more of a that kind of hybrid type rather than the, the Jihad Woods and Justice Rogers. They were maybe more of a kind of an older Bobby Wagner type linebacker. Still very good, but maybe not so much of the hybrid and newer age type of linebacker. And I think that will have a big impact in the run game. And I just think that overall the defensive tackle spot is going to be better. I think that guys like Christian Mejia, Antonio Pule, uh, Amir Mujahid, they've taken some steps to be at least the next level of, hey, we can at least handle some of these you know, top backs. So I, they basically have to be better against the run because right. it's – I mean, it's hard for me to think that the secondary doesn't take uh, somewhat of a step back. And if I'm wrong on that, you know, please do correct me. I, but I guess the, my, my question is that – how big of a setback is it? Because they lose George Hicks, they lose Jalen Washington, they lose Daniel Isom, they lose Tyrone Hill. I mean, that's, what, four of the six guys who took 200-plus snaps in the secondary? Like, that's a lot of dudes to lose. Right. And I think the one thing that gives a lot of people faith about what they'll be able to do to replace those guys is a lot of the guys you just named, you know, George Hicks especially and Daniel Isom, they struggled a lot until Jake Dickard got here. 2019, you know, they were, they were inconsistent. Hicks was playing corner. Isom was pretty much bounced all around until Mike Leach actually kicked him off the team. Uh, Rolovich later brought him back. But, you know, they were not high-caliber players really until this past season. So I think there was some faith that, you know, Dickert's mindset, and obviously he's not going to be the defensive coordinator now. And I think Mark Banker had a lot to do with that. He's obviously has kind of stepped away from the coaching side of things. But, um, you know, Jordan Lee's going to help a lot. He, he was so disruptive at Nevada last year, has a nose for the ball really good at creating turnovers. Uh, you know, I think Armani Marsh being a year older and kind of being e even more seasoned than he was last year, he's another guy who really struggled until Dickard and, and Banker got here and, and has taken steps from being kind of a liability at times in as recent as 2019 to being, you know, an all-conference caliber, caliber nickel to a point where Dickard vo or voiced his opinion that he should have been. So I think the big question is, is going to be cornerback two and free safety, and it's not for necessarily a lack of options. You know, they have Adrian Shepard, who made some progress in the spring. Sam Lockett is a veteran who played at City College of San Francisco after transferring from Utah State. And then at the corner two spot, they've got Shaw Smith-Wade, who has shown a lot of progress. They've got Chris Jackson and Caleb Ford-Dement, who were Division I transfers, Jackson from Michigan State and Ford-Dement from Old Dominion. I think a step back is not out of the question, just because I think it's going to be so hard to replace Jalen Watson. I mean, he was as good as any cover corner, maybe in the Pac-12 last year, a couple guys maybe a step above, but... Um, I, I think free safety is the, the big question to answer. I think they have the options at corner. You know, they added Cam Lampkin from Utah State. 
He has familiarity with Ray Brown, who was at Utah State, now is Wazoo's corner coach. So I do think there are more options at corner. Free safety is going to be a little interesting. No one really did emerge as that starting free safety in the spring. But, you know, having Lee replacing Isom slash uh, Tyrone Hill at strong safety, that's going to help a lot as well. So switching over to the offensive side of the ball here, uh, obviously Dickert is you know an, an internal uh, promotion. It, what is he going to be running on the offensive side of the ball? It, it, and how similar will it look to, to what they were running with the, with, you know, with the run and shoot, which not a lot of guys run? Yeah, I don't – I mean, I think there will be some similarities just in terms of it's going to be a pass-heavy offense, but it won't have run-and-shoot concepts. It won't have run-and-shoot feel. They're going back to kind of a version of the air raid. Now, it's not going to be the Mike Leach air raid, which is pass sets 95 times a game. Right. <laughs> run – every every play is a pass. Occasionally, you check to a run. No tight ends. Four wide every play. It's not going to be that. The tight end is back first time actually in almost uh, over 10 years that there have been tight ends at Washington State. There's going to be more of, a, of an emphasis on the run game. It's still going to be pass, uh, you know, pass heavy, probably 70 to 30, 75. Probably I'd say 70 to 30 is probably a, a safe bet. But, you know, I, I think that there is going to be more emphasis on getting the running backs in, in or kind of into the mix. You know, under the air raid, they weren't catching or they weren't running the ball at all, but they were catching it a ton. You know, I, I think a lot of gripes that people have with the run and shoot is you had a player as good as Max Borgie. And he wasn't getting the ball out of the backfield. He was getting handoffs, but this was a guy who was on the Bolitnikov Award watch list and didn't ha- ended up with less than 20 receptions. And I think that frustrated a lot of people. So they will go back to getting the ball to the running backs in space. There will be more of an emphasis on running the ball, some more outside zone stuff. But it's going to have more of a more of a Cliff Kingsbury feel to the uh, to the air raid than the Mike Leach of we're throwing it 90 times, we're not using tight ends. Whereas Kingsbury, you know, has the tight ends. There's a little more kind of a of a scheme to it than just chuck the ball up. Last year, Jaden Delora actually played pretty well. I mean, 23 to 9 touchdown interception ratio, over 63% completions, high success rate. Like when, when he was on, he was he was really pretty good. Now he departs and Washington State brings in Cam Ward, a player from Incarnate Word. I know we at 24-7 Sports put a pretty high transfer grade on him. It is he somebody who came in and just won the job in spring what what what's your intel on this look like yeah i mean from the moment that cam got to campus and from the day one of spring ball it was his job i mean he okay. was you know last fall there was a battle between delora between cam cooper between uh, jared garantano there was no battle this year cam was taking 25 to 30 reps in terms of what they did in seven on seven and 11 on 11 it, it was his offense it was his team the other guys were kind of sprinkled in mixing it with the two so th- there was really no debate eric morris even came out and said i think it was day five or six, you know, Cam's, you know, way ahead of the rest of the group and not necessarily an indictment on the other guys. They just were very young there. You know, they lost three quarterbacks from last year. You know, the guys getting reps with the twos were Victor Gabalas, a walk-on who's now transferred, Emmett Brown, who was a freshman walk-on, and then uh, Xavier Ward, who's coming off shoulder surgery or shoulder injury. So it wasn't like he was necessarily getting pushed by other veteran quarterbacks. But it, it was pretty much his job all the way, and he looked good. You know, I think the thing that stood out a lot is he makes a lot of plays off script. He can make plays with his legs. You know, he's maybe not Lamar Jackson getting out with his legs, but he's not a, a statue in the pocket. You know, he can throw on the run. He can do things off script. And, he, you know, he, he's very – he's a lot more equipped to throw the ball deep than Jaden Delora was. You know, Jaden Delora is extremely talented. You know, so much upside, so much flash. But I think the one thing that was a knock on Jaden consistently is that he missed deep balls. And there were several instances last year where he hits a deep ball, a game maybe turns the other way. 
Uh, whereas Ward can hit the deep ball, and he's he made several throws, you know, back shoulder throws, throws down the sideline that kind of you know opened your eyes a little bit. It, it was kind of what you'd see when when Gardner Minshew and Luke Falk would drop back. And I think that he's better a better fit for what they they want to do in this offense. Not that I don't think Delora could have handled it because I do think Delora is an extremely talented quarterback, but I think Ward is more of a pure passer and is more has more of a skill set for being a pure passer than Jaden Delora did. Ultimately, I do think that he is going to end up fitting better at Washington State. But in terms of was it there a battle, it was him from day one. There was really no debate. So Ward legitimately could be an upgrade is, is what I'm hearing if it clicks. Okay, uh, I would say that. And again, that's not an indictment on Delora. Um, I was sure. a big fan of Jaden, and I'm sad to see him go. I, I just think it's more of a test of how good Ward is and how much of a fit he is with Eric Morse. So one of the major questions I have looking at this team, obviously you already addressed it with, with D-Tackle and maybe those guys putting on some more size as well. Uh, but Washington State is one of very few teams who lost two receivers who had 100-plus targets each in, in Travell Harris and Calvin Jackson Jr. Uh, that seems like an absolute ton to replace, Jamie. I, am I wrong to be worried here? If not, why, why should I not be worried? Well, I think the one thing that has gone over the years is, you know, Washington State, constantly loses receivers to graduation and constantly replace them. And granted, a lot of that was Mike Leach just, you know, throwing the ball to every guy 75 times. Now, a big reason why, yes, they will not be easy to replace. I mean, these were two all pack 12 level receivers, two guys that, you know, were dominant really in a lot of ways uh, during last year, but they have Renard Bell back for a 700th year of eligibility. Um, (laughs) And I think that right, right there, it helps. I mean, Renard can, slot in and replace those guys you know he's obviously has so much experience he's played in the air raid he, he knows what it, he needs to do and i think a, a guy that a lot of people have put a lot of faith in a lot of stock in is lincoln victor he transferred over from hawaii as a walk-on with rolovich he's got put on scholarship he flashed last year and he was a guy he was limited a little bit in spring ball was a little banged up but he is the perfect underneath river Craycraft, brandon arcanado underneath option that has made the air raid so successful at washington state and I think he's a guy that is he's a larger-than-life personality. He has so much energy. He's one of the vocal leaders. But he also sees the game in an interesting way. He played quarterback in high school as a state champion hmm. uh, at Union High and then ended up uh, playing, playing receiver at Hawaii and then transferring to play receiver at Washington State. So he sees things in a very unique way. You know, is he going to come in and replace what they lost in Harrison Jackson? Maybe not. But I do think that him and Bell will soften that blow a lot. And then I think there's a lot of people putting a lot of faith into John Stripling. You know, he showed a lot last year, big time potential as a true freshman and just got better and better and better. You know, Donovan Ollie was kind of up and down. He had some moments. He went quiet a little bit and then came on and finished strong in the Apple Cup. And he's another guy who I think, is he, you know, going to be Gabe Marks out there? Is he going to put up, you know, 1,500 yards? Probably not, but a solid 3-4 option. And then the other thing I think that's going to help is they have depth. You know, they, they brought in Zariah Beeson from Oregon State, who has experience. Uh, Orion Peters is a guy the coaching staff loves. He's got speed. He's got precision route running. He gets out of his breaks really well. He's a guy that the coaching staff loves. Uh, Zion Nunley is another guy who came on really, really strong towards the end of camp. You know, he's 6'3", 210, and started to realize that he's 6'3", 210 and not 5'7". And the coaches have been trying to get that out of him since he got here last year. So I do think the big reason why – you know, there, I think there's reason to say, okay, can these guys actually step in and produce the way Jackson and Harris did? Uh, you know, Renard Bell, I think, can. I think he's proven that at this level. But I do think there are enough options and there's enough depth that they'll be able to make up for what they lost in Jackson and Harris 
even if they have to do it in a different way. You know, maybe one guy doesn't get 90 receptions, but two guys get 40 or something like that. Makes sense to me. Uh, so one question I always have when, when you have a defensive coach taking over, we got a little glimpse of this, obviously, uh, after Rolo left, uh, but pace and, and, and tempo. Have they said anything? Have you observed anything that would indicate they're going to operate at a different tempo uh, than they did last year? You know, I think the one thing that a lot of people actually liked late in the year is they did start to, they slowed down the tempo, but there were still instances where they would push the, push the pace a little bit and keep defenses off balance. And what was unique is actually early in the year, they were really good when they ran no huddle. It was one of the things that yeah. we noted. I think it was, uh, it might've even been against Utah or Cal that when they started to up the tempo and up the pace was when they were effective because they could get defenses on their heels. Now, I don't know if they're going to go as fast as the Mike Leach offense did because, you know, that was just blazing fast, but I don't think they're going to necessarily go slow defensive, uh, kind of melt the game away and get into a, you know, a, a punching match or grind match. I still think they're going to have some up, some up-tempo offense. They showed a little bit um, in the spring game. It, it was tough because it was just offense versus defense. It wasn't really head-to-head. They just didn't have enough offensive linemen. So I think there's going to be a little more tempo. It, ha- it wasn't something they showed a lot of. I think they maybe you're trying to kind of keep it under wraps. But I think it'll be a faster offense, but not necessarily the the high speed of what Leach did where everything's no huddle, get to the line. You're not. You're basically never breaking out of the huddle. You're just getting up, snapping the ball, and throwing it. Interesting. Okay. Uh, what One thing I, I want to see from this offense this year is getting ahead of the chains more consistently. And I, I feel like last year they were actually pretty good at bailing themselves out of trouble just from my recollection of, of, of watching them late night. Uh, it's like, oh, okay, Washington State, third and eight, converted. That's seems unsustainable, and yet they kept doing it. But it was like, it'd be better if you guys didn't put yourself in third and eight all the time. And, and one of the ways you do that, obviously, is offensive line. And four of the top seven by snap count obviously are gone, but you're you're there, you know, boots on the ground. Is this group is it better? Can it hold serve? Is it taking a step back? It looks like a lot just on a spreadsheet, but obviously, like you see the real people. You know, I don't think it's fair. I don't think it'd be fair to say it's better. I, I don't think you can lose Abraham Lucas himself and have a better offensive line. Um, and then you add in what they lost in Brian Green and Cade Beresford and Liam Ryan. Um, so I don't, I don't think better is, is fair to say. I don't know if they'll be that much worse. You know, it was a big concern heading into the spring. You know, it was my biggest concern is, you know, they had a makeshift offensive line in the Sun Bowl when Lucas uh, opted out, when Ryan was hurt, and it was a train wreck. I mean, they, they pretty much threw guys into the fire that had never played before. Christian Hilborn was their starting right tackle. He had taken a series of snaps, you know, the game prior in the Apple Cup in garbage time, um, and it didn't go well, you know, maybe unsurprisingly, but you know, I think it's hard to diagnose the offensive line right now for a couple of reasons. You know, there's a lot of guys cross-training. You know, Maake Fafita was supposed to be the right tackle. Well, then he moved back into right guard, and they brought in Grant Stevens from Northern Colorado. All big sky player. He'll probably start at right tackle. You know, Christian Hillborn was working at right guard and was actually doing a pretty good job. But now he's kind of in limbo. Uh, you know, left guard was Roger Tialavea for a while. Then he got hurt. You know, Brock Dew had a really good spring. You know, he was playing center for a while, but he's behind Connor Domnus, who – is about one of the only guys I'm confident saying he's the starting center. He's not cross-training. That's his job. Right. But I, I think it's hard to kind of get a full, you know, glimpse at the offensive line without knowing where everyone's playing. You know, I'm confident that Kingston will be at left tackle. Fairly confident it will be Fafita at right guard and, uh, and Stevens at right tackle. But to me, that left guard spot's wide open. Now, in the spring, they were better than I expected. I kind of expected it to be a bit of a mess and not necessarily because they were bad 
But because they're going up against Ron Stone and Brennan Jackson, you know, 100 snaps a day, and those are two of the better edges in the entire Pac-12. It was a little bit better than what I thought it would be. And I was a little bit actually impressed at times of how they were able to, you know, slow down some of the pass rushers. And even beyond Stone and Jackson, Washington State, that might be their deepest position as edge. I mean, they they can go five, six deep of really talented guys. You know, guys like Quinn Roth and Andrew Edson, who had three, three and a half sacks last year. They're threes and fours. But I thought the offensive line did a good enough job. And there were days where they were terrible, where Stone and Jackson absolutely ate them alive. When, you know, they go to the twos and Roth and Edson and, and Ram Stevenson would just burn whoever they were seeing. But then there were days where they would anchor them a little bit and they would do their job. So I, to my eyes, I'm higher on the offensive line than I was at the start of spring. But I still have a lot of questions and I still think it, it will be at least a minor step back from last year. Honestly, purely because they don't have Abe Lucas, who is as good of a right tackle as there was in the country the last few years. Makes sense to me. Jamie Vinnick, Coog fan, thank you for the time on, on, on summer school, man. I've learned a lot about Washington State today. I feel like, I mean, looking at the season win total stuff, five, five and a half is kind of the listed. I, I think this team can make a bowl. Yeah, I, I, that's kind of my, you know, I think that they'll have to they'll have to rebuild a little bit. You know, just they lost a lot of really talented pieces. But I, I kind of set them around between around six to seven. You know, maybe they could climb up to eight if they, they steal one. But. I kind of think six to eight is probably what their range is. And, and I personally think that they'll have enough to make a bowl. Um, you know, they, they've been good at home and they've had success against the Pac-12. No doubt about it. Jamie, appreciate the time. Yep. Thanks, bud. Appreciate you having me on. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey guys, what's up? Buddy Elliot here, back again with another episode of the Cover 3 Podcast Summer School Series, and today... We're going to talk a little Fresno State Bulldogs off a tremendous year. And to do that, I'm going to head on over to BarkBoard.com. That's right, BarkBoard.com, where Jackson Moore covers Fresno State for us. Jackson, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for having me, bud. So you also did our Stanford show for us, so you know the drill here. You know, somewhere between 8 and 12 minutes, roughly. Uh, Fresno, a, a fascinating team uh, to look at both last year and this year, uh, 2020 hard to take a whole lot away from what they did in 2020, given the whole COVID restrictions and the lack of a place to practice and whatnot. Uh, then last year, uh, under Coach Kalen DeBoer, they absolutely explode and, and look like uh, the best team in the Mountain West for much of the year. Yeah, I mean, th this is a, a core group that came together in 2019 after Jeff Tedford had back-to-back double-digit win seasons. And that season, they were 2019, they were just kind of young, didn't quite have it together, had a few quick, uh, real close losses. And then in 2020, they bring in Jake Hayner, everything's set. And then the COVID really wrecked Fresno State. I mean, they were the last school in FBS football to get onto campus. Literally, day one of fall camp was when they returned to school. And then once the season started, it was just a mess. So uh, you were, they really had high expectations for 2021. Uh, DeVore was very well thought of coming back here to Fresno State. and. Uh, Kind of, it was he got out quicker than we anticipated, but we we figured that um, 
he was going to do something at Fresno State in a hurry that was going to attract some bigger schools. So it all really came together for the Bulldogs last season. Um, they only had three losses. They came up close to, at Oregon. Uh, they really stood their toe against Hawaii when they had a top 25 ranking, and then they just really had a bad one against Boise State. <laughs> and, uh, the fact that they're bringing back, uh, I mean, about 75% production from that team, they're, um, I mean, to go from DeBoer to Jeff Tedford, I mean, that's something that group of five schools don't usually have the luxury of doing. So uh, the momentum has really carried this season, and uh, they've got the top Mountain West transfer portal rankings. So people are feeling good about the Bulldogs right now. That That is pretty much a blessing for them, I, I think, to go back to Jeff Tedford after Caitlin DeBoer took the Washington job after that great season in, in 2021. Uh, assuming Jeff Tedford you know, hasn't lost his, his fastball, um, what are the changes, if any, that you expect to see on this team in terms of you know things he might want to do differently, whether that's you know, running different things on offense or defense or you know, running at a different tempo, blitzing more, blitzing less. Is there anything he's talked about so far that you, know, you feel will be distinctly different with this squad? I think defense is definitely the side to watch. You look at the offensive side, they promoted Kirby Moore, Kellen Moore's younger brother, who has been on the staff since 2017 when Tedford got there previously. So everything's pretty cohesive there. Uh, same kind of scheme. They really did try to revamp the offensive line, which was the, the sore spot for the dogs last season. So uh, offense will be, uh, if they can shore up the O-line, that'll be the biggest change there. But on the defensive side, they basically changed out the whole staff. Um, you know, they've got guys that, as far as Fresno State standards are concerned, this is kind of a dream team staff for the Bulldogs because they're all former Fresno State players or coaches that have gone to bigger and uh, uh, more prestigious places since being at Fresno State and are at points in their career where they decided to come back to the Bulldogs. You've got Kevin Coyle as the defensive coordinator, and he spent a uh, long, about two decades in the NFL after working for Fresno State, uh, was the defensive coordinator for the Miami Dolphins for a while. And so, I mean, to have that resume, that's something Fresno State usually doesn't get. Um, but they have been pretty hush about what they plan to do. Um, they inherit a 4-2-5 defense, and it sounds like the personnel is going to stay pretty similar, but they want to be multiple. They want to be a defense that is hard to read, that can be in one formation from one series to another and can disguise a lot of things. So uh, they want to be very multiple, and we'll see how much of that they can get in, in year one with these, this defensive staff that they put together. Makes sense. Uh, offensively, there's no reason this shouldn't be the best offense in, in the Mountain West. I mean, Jake Hayner's back. Kelly and Cropper and Mims are all back. They lose what the running back was Rivers. That yeah, he was a pretty good player. Um, most of the offensive line re returns. It, it. Let me ask you this way: If they're not the best offense in the Mountain West, what happened? It would have to be Jake Hayner getting injured. Um, that's, I think, the only thing that can derail this offense. Um, they did go out recently, and they got a backup quarterback, Matt Campbell, from Illinois. So a little more insurance there. They were riding with two redshirt freshmen before that. So maybe they can survive an injury. But, I mean, this offense is well-stocked. I mean, they rotated six receivers last season. Only one of them ran out of eligibility. They went out and got a transfer from Cal, who was their uh, captain on offense, Nico Remigio. Uh, so, I mean, they're six deep, easy at wide receiver. Um, Jordan Mims, uh, you know, he didn't wasn't asked to do a whole lot for the dogs last year, but the three games he did, he had like 500-plus yards and like eight touchdowns. It was ridiculous. So they're feeling good about that. Again, not a whole lot of depth behind him. Um, so health is really the only roadblock, and 
you know, offensive line, it's there. They went out and got a lot of junior college guys, one D one transfer. It should look a lot different this year. And um, you would imagine they'd be at least on par with what last team's uh, last year's offensive line was. Defensively, obviously, you said that you feel like they're be pretty, you know, pretty solid. They do lose quite a bit up front, though. I think four out of their top six guys uh, by snap count are gone on the defensive line. Um, is that the biggest area of concern for this defense? Um, you know, the, most years at Fresno State, that would be horrific. <laughs> it's a difficult position to recruit in the Mountain West, and um, it's a lot of times tough to have a really good starting defensive line, let alone depth. But uh, they were very deep last year, and that's going to produce, I think, a D-line that's going to be, I mean, still relatively solid considering what they're losing. Um, they've got Leonard Payne up front, who was really the breakout star at defensive tackle last season. And then they've got Evan Bennett, who started some games at Oregon State before transferring to the Bulldogs, had some connections to those coaching staff, the, this coaching staff here. And, uh, I mean, that's a really good one-two punch up front. Um, they bring in Joshua Pacola from Stanford, who was a, four, uh, a four-star recruit, a big guy that should help them as well. And they've got a few other pieces that can round out that depth. And at defensive end, they've got a team captain, the star player, David Perales, who's got a super, ser- super senior year of eligibility left. And they also bring back Isaiah Johnson, who's a fifth-year guy. Uh, he had entered the portal with the deal with the previous coaches, and Tedford brought him back in. So um, probably the depth at defensive end is the one real concern there. Um, but if uh, the starting two guys can stay healthy, I mean, the, this D-line should be up to par for Fresno State for sure. Is there any spot on defense then that, that is concerning? I feel like this team is, is going to be pretty damn good. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, you look at the secondary, they bring back their whole safety group, no one left, and they've got two really good starters, Nevin Williams and Elijah Gates, a UCLA transfer. Um, they lost a couple corners, but they still have two guys with starting experience. They went out and got Cam Lockridge from Hawaii, uh, who started there, and you feel pretty good about that. I think probably linebacker is just the one concern because they were running a 4-2-5 defense, and they do lose Tyson Maeva, who was a one-year grad transfer fill-in last season, who played a big role on defense and was a team captain. Um, they do bring back uh, Lavelle Bailey and Malachi Langley, who played have played a lot of football. Bailey especially has established himself. They went out and got Raymond Scott from USC as a transfer. He's kind of the missing piece. If he can fill in and, and be the guy Fresno State needs to be, the Bulldogs should feel really good about that. If he doesn't work out, there could be some problems in the middle. And then also being a multiple defense, I mean, you really only got three linebackers they're probably especially comfortable with um, if they want to run some different formations they may just not have the personnel to do it in the middle so uh, Scott performing and just those guys staying healthy is going to be big to keep the uh, to take advantage of the talent they've got up front and in the back I mean I feel like this team is going to be in the discussion potentially uh, not only to win the Mountain West which if you look at the various betting sites right now they they are you know one of the favorites to do so, but also potentially um, to be probably the first Mountain West team since what, since Boise, I think, to take a uh, to take a New Year Six bid. Correct? Yeah, I mean that's kind of the the expectations for a, a lot of the team. And you know, Jeff Tedford came in here. It was a program that was you know kind of BCS or nothing under Pat Hill, and it was Mountain West championships or nothing under Tim DeRuiter and. Tedford said 1-0, let's just win each game. <laughs> That's kind of the mentality they've had. But in the spring, I mean, a lot of the players, they were not shy. They won a Mountain West Championship. Some of them were a little more uh, uh, willing to go out there and say New Year's Six Bowl, including Jake Hayner. Um, you know, he wants to be remembered here at Fresno State, and the New Year's Six Bowl would be a, 
even more memorable than some of the things that David and Derek Carr did here. No doubt about it. Jackson Moore, BarkBoard.com. Really appreciate the time today. Yeah, thank you for having me. All right, that's the bell. Cover 3 College Football Summer School is over for today. But don't worry. We'll be back soon with even more episodes filling you in on the top teams in college football. Please give us those five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Follow us on YouTube and on Twitter at Cover 3 Podcast. And we'll see you all soon. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.